but it's a joy to see you tonight. We're, we're thrilled that you've come. Uh, the attendances have been excellent, excellent over this past two weeks or so. Uh, last night we had a very large crowd in the house. Uh, Monday night was the same. And uh, they say Monday night's a difficult night and Thursday night's a shopping night. So this is Thursday night, isn't it? <coughs> this is so. Uh, last night, Wednesday night, it's usually a prayer meeting night for most folks as well. Um, Thursday night being the shopping night. Well, I just feel folks have made a great effort to Amen. be here. And I just want to thank you sincerely for joining with us. And uh, I'm not one that is taken with numbers, believe me. And if there's a hundred here, I'm happy. If there are ten here, I'm just as happy. Uh, I like to see the unsaved in. And why we like to see God's people come to meetings, it's always an indication of the Spirit of God at work. We're always looking for the unconverted. And we we love to see the unsaved in the house. So we're, we're thankful to those that have made the effort. I've been in meetings when uh, the house had been filled and overflowing. And I've been in missions and difficult places, believe me, when there's been very few people in but there's one thing the Lord has taught me, that uh, you don't despise the day of small things. And if the Lord gives us sinners to preach to, we're glad. One of the first missions that myself and my brother-in-law, Gary Shields, ever uh, conducted was over in the Memorial Hall in Upper Ballandary. And uh, being novice, we decided that we would go for three weeks. You know, a first mission, you should go about three days and then you would test the ground. And if you were brave enough, you would go for a week. But to go for three weeks, it was unbelievable. And I think one of the biggest crowds we had was 10. And uh, one night we had six in. Uh, that was two preachers and their wives. And uh, let me get this right now. Two preachers, their wives. There were seven in the organists. So when he's at two, four, five. And then there was one unsaved man in. And there was one other woman from the local area who was a backslider. So whenever I arrived, me and my brother-in-law were in the place of prayer. We come out and it was a big hall. It was twice the size of this. And as I come out, it was empty. And there was my wife. There was Gary's wife. There was the organist, Linda Douglas. There was a man that I had met in Lurgan Town. And I had said to him, would you come out to the mission? Because he's my uncle. And I met him. And he's a wino. He just drunk wine all his life. In fact, he slept on the park bench. And in many ways, he was a tramp. And he had a big beard and hair everywhere. He was like Cat Weasel, if you remember the old program years ago, Wurzel Gummidge. And there he was, and I met him, and he said to me, what are you at? I says, well, tell you the truth, Alec, I'm preaching um, the gospel in Upper Ballandary in the mission. He says, would you come? And he says, I will. Pick me up tomorrow night. And of course, unbelief says, you're not by there. No chance. I went round and the house was in darkness and I thought, well, that's it. And out he came. Couldn't believe it. And he came to the meeting with me. And my brother-in-law was preaching. Cut a long story short. He preached as if there were 400 in. And he was like this here. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. And I go, oh, no, that's Alec. <laughs> he knows he don't save one here. And maybe you're here tonight and you're a backslider. And there was that wee woman sitting. You know, in a big gathering, you can get away with it. You know, you have to be at least tactful. And maybe if you don't know the Lord, I'm looking straight at Alec. 
And if you're away from the Lord looking at that woman. And I sat and I was never as embarrassed in my life. And he preached. I'll never forget it. He preached as if the place was filled. I thought he was looking at people that I couldn't see. And he was preaching hoping somebody was passing by the windows. He finished the meeting. And even made an appeal. And I thought this is awful. And then he says now. If you didn't get your hand up. <laughs> and uh, he says here's what I want you to do. I want you when you leave this building. Now remember. My uncle was travelling with me. So he wasn't going to leave that building. <laughs> and June was travelling with me. And Gary was there. And Margaret was travelling with her. And Linda stayed for the bit of fellowship afterwards. So there was only one woman. He was going to leave that building. And he says, on the way out, <laughs> that was that woman. Oh, here's what I want you to do. Go out through the door, turn right, come up the little alleyway and into the wee inquiry room if you want to speak to me. And my first thoughts were this one. There's no light at the side of that building. And the drain pipe is broken. And there's green moss. And if any person goes round there, they'll not see anything. And they'll slip and they'll break their neck. And he wants them into an inquiry room. It's impossible. So he left the, the platform. Now remember this. I went to the door to shake hands with one person. How are you? Good to see you. Cheerio. And I come back in again. And Gary was in the inquiry room. Cut a long story short. There he was. And we were chatting away. And he was still in there. And I thought, I admire his faith. That woman could go home, get a cup of tea. And he's still waiting on her. And then he came out after half an hour or so. And here's what he goes. is. Great, she come back to the Lord. Amen. I says, that woman? I couldn't believe it. She went round there and in there. Yeah, she come back to the Lord. And I was rebuked. I really was rebuked. The next night when I picked up my Uncle Alec, he said to me, you know, I came home from the meeting last night and I got saved. Amen. And I was absolutely dumbfounded. Because my uncle, he, he, the house he lived in, I've never, and I've been in bad homes, never in my day. I always say if Alec had such a bad house, if burglars broke into it, they would leave him stuff around and take it. He had nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'll tell you the truth. I says, Alec, you have slept in some bad places, boy. I says, you slept on the park bench. He says, oh, I've slept in worse than that. I says, what could be worse than the park bench? You know what he said? He, slept, he says, I slept in a dog kennel one night. He says, why? He says, there was a party on and they wouldn't let me in. I was that drunk. And I saw this massive dog kennel. It looked like a doll's house. Big dog in it. And I walked in, grabbed the dog, put the dog out. And I went into it and slept all night. And the dog tried to get in beside me. And he got saved. And I can tell you this. I've never seen a change like it in my life. And uh, he, he had a difficult time. Uh, there was a woman who was with him, a very immoral lady from that area. And the first two days of his conversion, I thought, well, he'll never get over that hurdle. Total unbelief. He put her out of the house mm -hmm. and he never went back near her. And he never drunk a single bottle of beer or wine since it. Amen. And I can tell you, he drunk <laughs> Buckfast wine more than any other person I knew in Lurgan. And then he got a new home, and he had no teeth at all. They were all broken and smashed, and he got a new set of teeth as well. You get saved, you get a new set of teeth. <laughs> the only problem was he, he wasn't really used to them, and he started to do outreach. Outreach, I can't even speak myself. 
outreach with us and he couldn't get the words out and he couldn't say the word gospel. And he kept saying, like, going mission. <laughs> and I kept taking fits of laughing at the door. But I couldn't believe there he was, an old wino, a tramp, a drunkard. And I tell you this, very few would have literally given any hope for Alec Dugan. In fact, I was in the prison one night. I came to the television at 6 o'clock. We got out at half five from our cell, got a cup of tea, and we always watched the 6 o'clock news. There was a fire in Lurgan, and there were some gas cylinders and they were going to explode. And one of the men that lived beside them, because there was nobody else living in these derelict houses but my uncle. And before he got saved, and he came on, and he had this big hair and beard. And all he could see was Alexander Dugan. And he went, oh no, that's my Uncle Alec. And I just slid down the chair like this. And someone says, who's your mom? Like Cat Weasel. Hey, he's from Lurgan. Do you know him? Never seen him in my life. <laughs> what a lie. <laughs> he was my uncle. I just denied knowing him. But I'll tell you what a change. Amen. And it doesn't matter to me how many's in. That's right. The Lord taught me it's not about numbers. That's right. It's about the one. The one that comes. The one that hears. The one that the Lord saves. Amen. Makes it all worthwhile, you know. If one individual, just the one, was brought to know Christ as their saviour through the mission here and carried off. And I pray God will work by his spirit. My Aunt Mary, she was 60 years of age and the family were thinking of what to get her for her birthday or 60th birthday. I don't know what you've ever bought anyone for your for their 60th or what you've ever been given for your 60th. But uh, they were thinking of crystal vases. They were thinking of vouchers for uh, holidays away and a weekend and meals. And others were thinking of different things. And I said, well, they said to me, what are you going to get her? I says, I'm going to buy her a Bible. And even some Christians in my family said, oh, you can't do that. She'll think your Bible thumping her. You're telling her something. I says, what's wrong with buying her a Bible? So I, I, I felt there was great opposition and even the unsaved as well said, he shouldn't be doing that. But I did it anyway. Amen. And I got round to the house and I gave it to her. I'll tell you the story. My Aunt Mary, soon after that, was diagnosed with cancer. The Reverend David Crane of Lurgan Fries went in to visit a friend beside her in the bed. He always was away for an x-ray and Mr. Crane started to speak to my aunt. And then my aunt says, oh, you're a free P minister. Well, uh, Thomas Martin, do you know him? Oh, yes, I do, surely. She says, that's my nephew. And they struck up a conversation. And she said, do you know, whenever I was 60, it was only a few months before that, Thomas bought me a Bible. And I haven't stopped reading that Bible from he bought me it. And I had a little smile to myself. There was no crystal vase <coughs> beside her locker in the, in the hospital. There was no card with the little voucher in it. There was nothing else of the gifts that everyone else bought her. But you know what was there? The Bible that I gave to her. And Mr. Crane says, well, will you, are you reading it? And she says, I am. And then Mr. Crane got talking to her and had the joy of pointing her to the Lord. Amen. And a number of years ago, my Aunt Mary and my Uncle Alec both passed away. But both of them now are in heaven. And I thank the Lord, even just for one, means so much, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And if my life work consists in being a link in the chain for one precious soul, mm -hmm. believe me, I would see that as my greatest work. Mm -hmm. I would see God's purpose for my life if I could only be used to show one soul the way of salvation. Or even if it pleases my Lord to give me the joy 
of pointing one soul to the Savior. My life's work is complete. And I trust the Lord will give us much more than that. But even one, we would rejoice for all eternity. Could I leave one verse of scripture with you this evening? It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 1. It's the verse 29, a familiar portion. And verse, John the Baptist standing at the River Jordan, baptizing. He sees the Lord Jesus coming towards him. And he cries out with a loud voice to the multitude. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's just bow briefly in prayer, please. We'll ask God's help as we close the meeting in the preaching of the gospel. Father, we thank thee for thy presence with us in past evenings. We thank thee, Lord, for help given to those who have come to minister in song. We thank thee for our sister, Helen, those beautiful pieces that have ministered to hearts and to our hearts. We thank thee, Lord, for those who have testified for help giving and the leading of this service, Lord. We thank thee for those who have given the welcome at the door, those who have helped, Lord, in the playing of the musical instruments. We thank thee for those who have faithfully attended, Lord, joined with us for the season of prayer, done the outreach, invited others and have come themselves and have prayed for the meetings. We thank thee, Lord, for fellowship. We thank thee we're laborers together with God in the gospel and in the center of thy will. We're seeking to fulfill the great commission and preach the gospel to every creature. We thank thee for those who have heard the gospel. We bless thee, our Father, that John the Baptist, lying in an old prison cell, was told by thyself, Lord Jesus Christ, that he was to rejoice at the poor had the gospel preached unto them and lord we rejoice that sinners have heard the way of salvation aright and we ask O god that thou wouldst work the word in and convict of sin and convert the soul we pray lord for a precious soul and carried off to come to know christ as our own and personal savior we ask lord at this night thou would set thy seal to the preaching of thy word and the conversion of the lost the restoration of a backslider and the edification and reviving of the church. Father, to this end, fill me now with the spirit of the living God. Exalt thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things believing in his precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. You know, the text before us this evening is one of the clearest declarations and most beautiful statements in all of the Bible concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say that is because it takes us to the very heart and theme of the glorious gospel of Christ. It brings us to consider the person of Christ. It begin, brings us to consider the provision he has made for guilty sinners. We are considering, I believe, one of the greatest texts in all of Holy Scripture concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This text draws our attention to the redemptive work and nature of Christ's work on the cross. It bids us consider that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb for sinners slain. He is the Lamb which taketh away the guilt and the sin of the world. You know, to a Gentile reader of the Bible, the lamb may have little or no significance at all. But to a Jew, reading the Old Testament 
and to Jews that stood that day along the Jordan River banks being baptized of John when he declared that the Lamb of the Old Testament and the Lamb that they were so familiar with was now personified. That is, John points to a person. John points now to one who stood in their midst, the Messiah, and looking upon Christ, the Son of the living God, he gives to the blessed Son of God one of the sweetest titles you could ever give to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Jewish religion revolved around the sacrifice of the Lamb. There wasn't a single day in the history of God's people Israel that a lamb wasn't sacrificed. And in the temple and in the tabernacle in the morning, a lamb was offered. And in the evening, a lamb was offered. And then once a year on the day of atonement, a lamb was offered. And whenever they were brought out of Egypt and bondage and brought into the promised land, you well remember in Exodus chapter 12 that God told them to take unto themselves a lamb. And that lamb had to be sacrificed. You well remember there on Mount Moriah when Abraham stood that day with his son tied and a knife in his hand about to slay his son, that he was instructed to look across and there was a ram caught by its horns in the thicket and he was to offer the ram in place of his son Isaac. And you should remember that the lamb meant everything to a Jew. And when John said, Behold, the lamb, that would have been something startling to a Jew. But to us who are Gentiles, it may be difficult for us to understand the meaning and significance of the Lamb. You see, when a man sins against God, he must pay for his sins, either personally on his own soul in hell or vicariously by means of a sacrifice. I said to you that I would repeat that saying during the mission. I believe you teach by repetition. That's how we learn certain things. We rhyme them over. I'm disappointed that in certain schools they, they don't go over the times table the way they used to. When you teach the children, you've got to go over. What do you say? If I go to the two times table, it's the only one I know, you know. You know, two knots or not, two ones or two. There's a little tune to it, you know. And whenever I was asked in school to say my two times table, that's how I went. Du, 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 du. And I never got away. He says, what was that? I says, miss, I remember the tune. Just forget the words and make yourself. But I believe in teaching by repetition. And when I say to you, when a man or woman or boy or girl or young person sins against God, they must pay for their sins. And they do so either personally in hell for all eternity or vicariously by means of a substitute. Either way, God punishes sin. Sin must go unpunished. And when a man or woman sins against God, that sin must be punished. God does not sweep it under the carpet. He does not cast it behind his back. The Lord does not in any way just simply forgive and forget that sin. 
God always punishes sin. There's never a moment and neither will there be when God will let sin go unpunished. Your sin, think of it right now, whatever it has been, it doesn't matter how dark, how vile, how wicked, or how little you imagine it to be, all of your sin must be punished. Did you know that? There's not a single sin that you have committed, I and that I have committed, but it will be punished. God will always punish sin. And I've told you in this mission that he does it in two ways. Personally, on the sinner in hell for all eternity, God punishes sin. He's righteous. Or vicariously, by means of a substitute, another to take our place. But either way, in hell, myself punished for sin or Christ punished for my sin. Either way, God punishes sin. And when John saw Christ that day coming, he cried, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh, that is, he bears the sin of many. He takes upon himself all the sins of all his believing, repentant people and he bears them in his own body and he pays the price before God and he sheds his royal blood to satisfy justice and turn away divine wrath and extinguish the guilt of sin forever. There's the glory and the greatness and the genius of the gospel. Christ is the lamb for sinners slain. He is the lamb that takes the guilt of sin away. He is God's provision, God's remedy, God's means of salvation, God's appointed door to heaven. God himself is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to consider this text of Scripture, we're considering the most clear statement in all of the Bible. And the most beautiful statement concerning the person and the work of Christ. Very quickly, please consider with me. First of all, from this text, the significance of this title. The Lamb of God. There are individuals today who preach that this title is nothing else, nothing else, but the nature of Christ. He is as meek and gentle as a lamb. Now we will not argue with that to a degree. Christ is meek. Christ is gentle. And we know that he is as the lamb, meek and gentle. But this title has nothing to do whatsoever with Christ being meek and gentle. It's nothing whatsoever to do as Christ being an example as if he's just a little lamb and he's very meek and he's very mild and he's very gentle. It means more than that. There are preachers today that do not believe in what they call the slaughterhouse religion. In evangelical circles we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ shedding his blood. We preach the necessity of belief in the finished work of the cross. And we uplift the precious blood of the Lamb. And we're unashamedly 
those who exalt the blood. Without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, no peace, no heaven, no pardon for sin. And whenever we consider this title, the significance of it is this. It points to us not necessarily to the nature of Christ, but to his work of redemption, to his sacrifice, to what he has done upon the cross. And our Lord Jesus Christ was typified in the Old Testament. I haven't time to go through some of them and I have them in my notes before me. But I want to skip them and move on. Because the Lamb which was typified in the Bible is now personified in Christ. Israel, they looked for a leader. But God gave them a Lamb. When they were under the tyranny of Rome, they looked for a political and a military giant that would take on their physical enemy in the land, Rome, and would destroy that enemy, would defeat Caesar and the Roman occupation of Israel and chase them out of their land and give their land back again to the rule of the princes and the kings in Israel. And they desired that someone would come. And they mistook Christ's claim to Messiahship to being one that would destroy the power of Rome. That would lead them into victory against their political and even their religious enemy. And they looked for a lion, but God gave them a lamb. They looked for a leader, but God gave them a lamb. Now why? Why did God give them a lamb? Before I even answer that question, could I say something to you? You know nothing of God and of salvation until you know Christ as your lamb to take the guilt of your sin away. You know nothing of heaven. You know nothing of peace with God. You know absolutely nothing of sins forgiven. Unless you have Christ, your lamb, to take the guilt of your sin away. And while Israel looked for all these things, God gave to them a lamb. Now I have no doubt that day if I stood by the banks of Jordan. And I saw John the Baptist. And he was about to do what he just did in proclaiming a title of Christ. I have no doubt if John said to me that day, I want you to come forward. And I want you now to introduce to Israel the son of the living God, the Messiah, the prophesied one. I want you now to introduce him. Here's how I would have begun. I would have said to the multitude that day, behold, your king. John didn't do that. I might even have said, Behold, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, deity veiled in humanity. And I wouldn't be far off the mark, you know, saying those things because Christ is all that I've just said, King and Son of the living God. But you'll notice John did not introduce him to the nation like that. Rather, I might have stood that day and John set me aside and called some of you up and some of you might come along and say, well, let me introduce him to the nation. 
I have some wonderful titles I would like to bring to their attention concerning this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say, behold, the Lord of glory. I would say, behold, the Holy One of God. I would say to the nation, behold, the judge of the living and the dead. Behold, the sovereign king of the universe. Behold, I would say, the son of man. But John didn't use any of those titles. And he could have. And no doubt he knew everyone was true of Christ. But he cried that day, behold, the lamb. Why? I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why. Because John went to the very heart and need of the nation. Israel did not need a leader. Israel did not need a lion. They did not need some political or military giant. Do you know what they needed? They needed a lamb to take their sin away. And I'll say this. Ulster Protestants. And Irish Roman Catholics, they cry out today, don't they, for a military leader. They want to be delivered from their enemies. They want a political giant and a just cause to espouse and to rally round. And their cry, and I've heard it from certain circles in loyalism and in unionism, and in Protestantism, and even from Roman Catholics and Republicans as well, give us a leader. But there's no yearning in this country, in the hearts of men and women, for a lamb to take the guilt of sin away. And that's what this society needs, you know. It needs the lamb. It needs the lamb of God. It needs the lamb of God which taketh away the sin. That's what they need. More than riches and winning the lottery. More than any other thing. Sinners in this town of Carriduff, in this province of Ulster, a nation to which we belong, they need a lamb to take the guilt of their sin away. And if you're here tonight without Christ, without God, you're without hope. But I'm glad tonight your need is the lamb. And we can say to you like John, behold, your lamb, the lamb of God. Do you know Christ as your lamb? Do you know Christ as the lamb that takes away your sin? Tell me, have you ever come by faith, repenting of all your sin? Have you ever looked to Christ, the bleeding lamb that takes the guilt of sin away? Have you ever trusted in his finished work that gives a sinner peace with God? Have you ever rested your soul on the foundation of his precious shed blood that washes away a lifetime of sin and cleanses the guilty, vile sinner's soul? Have you ever trusted in Christ the Lamb to take your sin away? All oh, the significance of the title. But I want you to notice, secondly, the salvation in this title. Notice what it says. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin. That's a remarkable phrase, isn't it? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin. The word taketh away means to bear upon oneself. 
It literally means to become the scapegoat for. It means to literally be the surety and the substitute and the sin bearer for the guilty. Behold the lamb, your sin bearer. Behold the lamb, your substitute. Behold the lamb, your surety before God. The one who stands in your place, you're guilty. He's not. You are a sinner. He's not. You deserve punishment. He doesn't. But as the lamb, he takes your place. He dies for you. He sheds his blood for you. He suffers untold sorrow, agony at Calvary for you, the guilty sinner. And God says tonight, behold, my lamb takes away your sin. Behold, it means stop and consider a very strong word that's used here. It's not some casual glance. It's not look yonder. It's not some careless turning around and gazing and then going back to your business. No, this word means stop what you're doing. <coughs> Turn yourself around and consider the lamb. And your need of him. You see that's what you need tonight. You need the lamb of God. To take your sin away. And whenever you think of that salvation in this title. You'll understand which taketh away. It literally speaks of completeness. Whenever you have something in your body. And something harmful. And the surgeon says to you. We have taken some of it away. I don't think you'll be too happy with those words. You'll be concerned about what is left. But on this word it says which taketh away. It speaks of taking it completely away. It speaks of the finished work of Christ. The completeness of his sacrifice. He not only is the lamb but he takes the guilt of sin. And he bears it upon himself and he becomes legally not morally for he's sinlessly perfect. Impeccable spotless he is the sinless son of the living God. But listen to me. On the cross. He the just one. Dies for me and you. The unjust ones. He's the holy one of God. But he dies for the unholy. He's the righteous son of the living God. But he dies for the unrighteous. He is the holy one of God. But he dies for the ungodly. And he bears on his own body. And takes away, removes forever the guilt of your sin. And all of its punishment which you deserve falls on him. Its full penalty death and eternal hell is suffered by him. Endured by him on his own body on the tree. When God literally takes his sword. You were singing that in the, the hymn 100. Jehovah bade his sword awake. Oh Christ it woke against thee. And we know that his blood, that flaming sword, it quenched it and extinguished forever the guilt of sin. And I'm saying to you now, the Bible tells us to consider God's lamb, the significance of the title. He's a lamb for sinners slain. The salvation in the title. He takes away your sin. Do you want forgiveness tonight? Do you? Then behold the lamb. Do you want pardon for your sin tonight? Then behold the lamb. Do you want peace with God tonight? 
Behold the Lamb. How clear could it be? God could not write it in our English language in a plainer way. He could not make it any more clear. He could not make it any more simple. He could not bring it down to a, the understanding of a child in the way that he has. Consider, look now by faith to the Lamb, my provision for you, my remedy for your sin, my way of salvation, the means that I have chosen in order that my justice would be satisfied, my mercy be glorified. Behold, my perfect Lamb, the one whom I have appointed, the one that I have chosen. And here's a remarkable thing. Here's a parallel. Whenever our Lord Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem, whenever he was going, as a, setting his face as a flint to go to the cross, whenever he came into Jerusalem, there he was kept for four days or so in order that he might be examined by the religious leader, by Pilate, by Herod, and by others. And at the end of the day, do you know what they said of Christ? They said, I find no fault in this man. But did you know there is a type going on in the temple? Because as Christ was arrested and as Christ was being examined, the high priest, along with others, were selecting a lamb for it was during the Passover time. They were selecting a lamb. Do you know what they were doing? They were inspecting that lamb. They were pulling back its gums and having a look or its lips and having a look at its teeth. They were looking at its ears. They were pulling back its fleece. They were looking at its feet. They were looking at its tail. They were examining that entire lamb. And when they found one that was acceptable, they lifted it up. And literally they could say, here's the lamb. I find no fault in this one. And as the high priest was handed the lamb, the best of the flock, the best of the herd of the flock, the best that man could look at and find, examine and present, they lifted it up and says, we find no fault in this one. That's exactly the same time that it was said of Christ after he was examined by all, I find no fault in him. Behold, God's lamb, God's perfect substitutionary lamb for you. It's a wonderful thing. And whenever Christ shed his blood and the veil in the temple was rent in two in the midst from the top to the bottom, the way was open now to God. The, the very high priest was in the holy place with the blood. He was about to sprinkle that blood before God because it represented the innocent lamb dying for the guilty Israelite. And as he was carrying that blood there about in the holy place, the Bible says Christ cried, it is finished. He shed his blood within the veil. And immediately he said that the veil, the way to God was opened. There was no more need for that basin of blood. And God removed the type and he points us to the anti-type. He takes away the shadow and points us to the substance. He takes away the picture and the illustration and gives us reality. Behold the lamb. Behold my lamb. Have you ever beheld the lamb? Have you ever received the lamb? Are you trusting in the blood of the lamb? Now I'm asking you. I'm not asking do you know about the lamb? Could you quote the verses relating to the lamb? I'm asking you. Do you know the lamb? Is he your lamb tonight? Are you saved by the blood of the lamb? 
There's one final thought and it's this. You not only have the significance and salvation of this title, but you have the scope of it. Look what it says in the final phrase of the verse. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now I do not believe in universal salvation. I do not believe that every single man, woman, boy or girl or young person in this world will be saved. I don't believe in universal salvation. But what I do believe in is this. That salvation is universal. It's for all types of sinners. And John did something that day that it would awaken the conscience of the Jew. It would have startled the religious leaders. Because they believed the Lamb belonged to Israel. And beyond the borders of Israel, there was no salvation. But the Lord is gracious and merciful. And when John said this, he included you and he included me. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the Israelites. No. Behold the Lamb of God, which is alone for the Jewish nations, even though they're scattered throughout the world. No. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God's grace goes beyond national boundaries, you know. It's not limited to the borders of Israel. God's Lamb is the Lamb for sinners. Sinners throughout the world. Irrespective of their religion or their philosophy or their culture or their society or even their sinful immoral living irrespective of what nation, color, or whatever creed they belong to, I'm glad tonight I can say, Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of every single person who repents of that sin and trusts in Christ alone for salvation. He was the Lamb for a single person in Genesis 4. Did you know that? He was sufficient. For one single person in Genesis 4, Abel came with the sacrifice of the Lamb and found by faith acceptance with God through the sacrifice of the Lamb, which pointed to Christ. And he was sufficient as well for the household, a whole house. In Exodus chapter 12, there the house gathered. There could have been a mother and a father There could have been even four, five, six or seven children. Maybe an aunt or an uncle or even the grandparents gathered that day and huddled around a table eating bread, unleavened bread, roasting the lamb with fire. But the lamb was sufficient for that entire household as its blood was sprinkled upon the lintels of the door. And when God saw the blood over the household, the entire house was saved by faith. In the blood of the Lamb. A picture of Christ, the Lamb of God, shedding his blood. And furthermore, here's a wonderful thing. The Lamb was sufficient for an entire nation. In Leviticus 16, on the day of Passover and atonement rather. On that day of atonement, when the high priest represented the nation, he walked into the tabernacle to the holiest of all, or into the temple, the holiest of all. And here's a wonderful thing. On the bottom of the high priest's garments, there was little bells that were sewed on. And when he walked, you could literally hear the tinkle of those bells. They would have jingled as he walked around and they would have heard outside in total silence as the lamb was slain and the blood was brought before God. They could hear 
the high priest moving about. And when they didn't hear those bells, the entire nation would have feared. God has not accepted our sacrifice. God has turned it aside. It's not sufficient for us. It's not enough. We don't hear the bells. Terrible thing. You remember in the Psalms, it says, blessed are the people which hear the joyful sound. Do you know what that sound is? It's the sound of the high priest's bells ringing as he walks out from the holiest of all, having presented the blood before a holy God at the mercy seat. And God has accepted that sacrifice and that blood as an atonement for sin, pointing as it did to Christ and his finished work on the cross. And when those bells were heard, God said, blessed are the people, that entire nation that have now heard the joyful sound. And heaven's high priest, the Lamb of God, Christ himself. Christ himself. The high priest offered the Lamb. But in Christ the high priest, he offered himself the Lamb. And now in heaven, those bells are ringing. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Oh, the scope of this title. He's a lamb for the individual. And guess what? In this very verse, he's a lamb for sinners across the entire globe. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Oh, preacher, you don't know my life. Listen to me. All I need to know is this, that Christ is the lamb for sinners. Are you a sinner? Yes, I am. Are you lost? Are you bound for hell? Are you guilty before God? Yes, I am. Then listen to me. He's a lamb for you. Now, I don't have time to do this, but I'll finish with it now. There's a wonderful thought and progression of thought in Exodus 12 concerning the lamb. In verse 3 of chapter 12, he's described by God. You shall take to yourselves a lamb. A lamb. Now, what is Christ to you tonight as I close? Is that all he is? A lamb. Perhaps one of many ways to God, as you think. He's a, a lamb. He's a lamb for other people. He's a lamb for that preacher. He's a lamb for the resident pastor of this work. He's a resident for those that are in office and those that are members of this church and born-again believers in this congregation. He's a lamb for them. And he's a lamb for others. He's only a lamb. Means little or nothing to me. Is that how you are? Is that how far from God you are? Have you no affection at all for the son of the living God? No interest in his saving blood and finished work on the cross? He's just a lamb. You can take him or leave him. I told you there was a progression of thought. In verse 4, here's how he's described Christ, that is. From a lamb, the Lord then goes on to say that the lamb shall be. A lamb to the lamb. Now that's not salvation, by the way. But it certainly is greater light and knowledge. Christ, the lamb, he's the only way to heaven. I believe that preacher. I have met people. 
and they literally have witnessed to other people. I was in the prison, in the jail, and one young fellow from Scotland, Jim Smith, he was able to witness to fellow prisoners, even though he wasn't converted himself. And here's what he would say. Do you know, you need to be born again. You need to be saved, you know. And Christ is the only hope for sinners. And I heard him preach the gospel to the unconverted. And afterward, I went up to him and I said, Jim, you preached the gospel to those men. He says, I know I did. You told him Christ was the only way to heaven. And so he is. But Jim, you're not saved yourself. Oh, I know that. You've never taken Christ yourself. But you really believe that he is the lamb, the only hope you have. Oh, I do. But he wasn't saved. Thank the Lord he did get saved, Amen. by the way. But I'm telling you, you may even say, preacher, he's not a lamb. I know he's the lamb. He's the only way to God. My only hope of deliverance from sin, death and eternal hell. But that's all he is to you. I told you there was a progression of thought. In verse 5, here's how he's described in the opening words. Your lamb. Amen. Now that's salvation. From a lamb to, your lamb. to the lamb. And now he's your lamb. Now tell me. Tell me, is he your lamb tonight? Can you say, yes, I'm trusting in the blood of the lamb. He's my lamb. Your lamb. Have you made him yours? Will you not say tonight, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, thou wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Will you take him as your lamb tonight? Will you trust him for salvation? Will you rest on his finished work? Will you lean entirely on the precious blood as your only merit and value and hope for heaven and peace with God? Is he your lamb? If not, make him your lamb tonight. Don't go away and say he's a lamb. Don't even go away convinced tonight he's the lamb. Make him yours. Take him. He's offered freely in the gospel, you know. He's offered freely. And in the free church, I'm glad this denomination believes in the free offer of the gospel. Amen. Whosoever will may come. Behold, the Lamb of God, mm. which taketh away the sin of the world. Make him your Lamb tonight. And don't go away without Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Mm. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. And we ask, O God, thou wouldst part us in thy fear and with thy favour. And grant that Christ being lifted up in song, in prayer, in the word, and we trust in the message, that he will draw precious souls unto himself. Let no man or woman or young person leave this house tonight until Christ is their Lamb that takes the guilt of their sin away. Hear and answer prayer, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.